We know that there's a few different causes to every anxiety disorder. And um, we know that some people are born with the volume turned up on anxiety. So temperament, how intensely you feel different emotions is very biological. So some people are individuals who are born with the volume totally turned down on anxiety. This is Meredith for Real, the Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. If talking about social anxiety can be fun, then it was totally fun with this week's guest. He's equal parts legit PhD psychologist and legitimately relatable. You'll see. He's also been featured on Netflix and Vox's The Mind Explained, HBO's Doctor Commentaries, and A&E's The Employables. And more importantly to you, he answers your questions throughout the episode. We cover feeling grounded at social gatherings, where anxiety disorder even comes from, RSD, autism, introversion, X-Men, sweaty armpits, and wearing socks in the pool. If you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one I did about the stigma of male anxiety with author and funny man John Patrick Hatcher in episode 166. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you so much. If you haven't already left a rating on Apple Podcasts, I'd be so grateful. Even if you're too tongue-tied to leave the review part, that rating part really helps me take the podcast to the next level with high-caliber guests and meaningful sponsorships. So just give those stars a little tap. And if you're new here, welcome. Around here, we press play to get curious, disrupt the algorithm, and grow into better humans. We talk about everything from digital graves to drug dealers. So bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. There's no specific order to listen to episodes. All right, enjoy the show. 2020 took a lot of things from us, and it gave us a lot of things. And one of those things was more social permission to see mental health as health. And while that's a total win, it also made worse or created new altogether a lot of social anxiety. My next guest has been there. He had selective mutism as a child, which he likes to point out is not an X-Men superpower. So at the suggestion of a friend, he signed up for a public speaking class to help, but only because he thought it was a class where you listen to public speeches. Thankfully for all of us, he made it out okay and became a clinical psychologist specializing in treating anxiety disorders. Frustrated by the mental health care system's inability to meet the increasing needs of the public, however, he pivoted to more widely accessible forms of support, including a YouTube channel where he creates media that helps viewers live a more compassionate, courageous, and connected life. Today, he's going to help us understand social anxiety, answer the questions that you sent in, and offer practical strategies for wellness, forward-thinking, content-creating, offering mental health for the masses, Dr. Ali Matu. Thanks for being here. 
Instagram. Happy me, Meredith. What a lovely, warm uh, introduction. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I think uh, <laughs> we may want to like kick. I love the X Men part. Actually, that's like in my heart. I love X Men so much. So the idea that you know that was like a part of your uh, your story is just means we're we're, all, we're on the right path to co create. I think. <laughs> when I discovered that term, selective mutism, it sounded so cool. <laughs> And, you know, I I think like X-Men 2 had just come out a few years ago and X-Men was like a big part of my childhood. So I that's like where my head went. And then I was like, oh, no, this is not this is not this like some kind of like cool thing. This is oh, my gosh, this is me. This is what I had. There's a name for this. There's a thing. It's not I'm not weird. I just had this thing like what? So, yeah, that was a uh, it's one of those moments where. After that, I saw everything differently about myself. You know, there was a before that moment and then there's an after that moment. Yeah, that's so true. I have felt that way about um, ADHD, like, you know, not being diagnosed formally my whole life. And I'm still not formally diagnosed, but like, um, it's actually through this podcast, learning about how it presents in females, how it presents in adults and looking back going, wow you know what? Life makes a lot more sense now. It's, it's it kind of proof like <laughs> labels can be very helpful as long as you don't over-identify with them. But it is a shame yeah. that we're not X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> there's still, still time. We could be like yeah, the, the weird version of X-Men where there's like, you know, anxiety boy and ADHD girl. <laughs> okay. You know, there was, um, there's like a uh, for a long time, people have wondered, like, why do some of these things exist in our genome? And so we know that anxiety, you, you kind of need it. Like, if you're not anxious, you're going to show up late to things. You're not going to, like, prepare and all that sort of stuff. But people have wondered about ADHD. And um, one of the theories is uh, people with ADHD were probably really good to have, like, on guard and protecting us. Um, because at the first sign of trouble they'd react you know they would they'd be the ones that would be kind of constantly looking out for danger and they would be the ones that would be the first ones to notice something that might be uh not quite right so i i think the coolest thing about mental health is every aspect of it is on a spectrum and we all experience degrees of it and there's all there's always some kind of benefit to it as much as there are also struggles with with everything we experience in mental health. That's true. I've heard of uh, more generalized anxiety, not social anxiety, but that people with generalized anxiety are the best um, paramedics. They're the best uh, emergency responders because <laughs> it's like, this is what we've been training for. You know, like in, in an emergency, we are like – you know, oh, finally, the outside world has matched our inner world. We got this. <laughs> Hold yeah, my beer. You kind of don't want, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want um, an air traffic controller to be a thrill seeker at their job. Like, you know, like <laughs> no. you want people who are a little bit more cautious. Uh, yeah, totally, totally. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. So <laughs> social anxiety. My, you know, I put this out there for my listeners and they sent me so many questions that it filled a full page in like size nine font. (laughs) So many, so many questions. And so we're definitely going to get to some of the questions, but 
Um, I want to take you up on your offer of first defining the difference between social anxiety and social anxiety disorder, because I don't know the difference. And I'm going to maybe say that maybe a lot of people don't either. Yeah, I think that's a really good place for us to start. So let's let's just look at anxiety first off. So anxiety is this emotion that organizes your thoughts, feelings, and actions. And usually anxiety is about some type of danger that might happen in the future. Like a, a stressor is a is an actual uh, thing you have coming up. Like you're stressed about an exam. You're stressed about all the work you have to get done. Um, fears are like actual dangers to you. There's a dog chasing you. There is, um, you just got some really bad news about your health, things like that. Anxiety is you think something might be happening. You think there might be some kind of future stressor, future fear, future danger and stuff like that. And then it's, anxiety is trying to like prepare your body for this danger. It's trying to prepare your thoughts, trying to get you ready. Social anxiety, humans are like super social. It's our superpower. Other animals have big teeth. Some animals have thick skin. We don't have that kind of stuff. We have really small teeth and really skin. <laughs> uh, we don't run particularly fast. But what we're very good at is working with each other, collaborating with each other, turning to each other, getting support from one another. Uh, lifting each other up. That's our superpower. That's our real X-Men superpower, actually. Like, most animals can't collaborate beyond their bloodlines, beyond family, but humans can. We can collaborate, like, big time. So social anxiety is something that's in there that really helps us in most social situations. And what social anxiety is, it's Anxiety about uh, being judged by other people, having concerns that you might be judged, having concerns that you might embarrass yourself, having concerns that you might say something that's out of line and that goes against like cultural norms. So it, uh, in in a regular sense, social anxiety is why we clean ourselves up before we go outside into the world. Social anxiety is why we don't say every random thought that pops up in our head. <laughs> Social anxiety is why we um, stand in line and try to conform to our cultural norms and, and kind of make sure that our social group works. And if we didn't have social anxiety, there'd be a lot of social chaos. And we, um, we'd have a lot of, a lot more hard time collaborating with one another. Social anxiety is also why we prepare for public speeches and like recording this podcast with you and why we care about how we perform on tests or in performances like music and sports and stuff like that. So social anxiety is what helps us to really show up and fit in and work with other people. It's normal. It's healthy. We need it. Social anxiety disorder affects a about 7% of adults every year. Anxiety disorders more broadly are about 20% of people are affected by an anxiety disorder every year. That's massive. That is the most common form of mental health problem are, are anxiety disorders. And uh, among those, in social anxiety impacts about seven people, but if, uh, not seven people, 7%. <laughs> 
Seven out of a hundred. <laughs> uh, there he is. Thank you. Thank you. Nice, nice, uh, nice assist. Um, so social anxiety disorder is when that normal, healthy social anxiety becomes a problem. And it's when your social anxiety is limiting what you can do in your life. Maybe you start avoiding important things that you need to be able to do. Like maybe you're avoiding those class presentations, or maybe you um, you aren't able to do everything you need to at work. Maybe you can't go to the corner store and get the supplies you need because you're so anxious about interacting with strangers. Uh, or what also can happen with social anxiety, it's not that you're avoiding these things, but you can do them, but you do them poorly. So for example, let's say you have to take a test and you're so anxious about um, how other people are going to judge you and how the teacher is going to see you and stuff like that, that your mind just goes blank. Like you've studied this stuff, you know this stuff, you show up, it's all gone because anxiety is it restricts your attention, it limits your thinking, it exaggerates danger. And when we need to perform on a test, uh, a musical instrument, a sport, or public speaking, sometimes if you have social anxiety, your performance just plummets because you're so anxious about it. So basically, social anxiety disorder is when your social anxiety is impairing your life. It's limiting what you can do. Um, it's making it very hard for you to do the things that you want to do. How would a person know if they have social anxiety disorder or generalized anxiety? Yeah, generalized anxiety is something that you, the most common symptom of it is when people experience a lot of worries. They have a lot of worries about a lot of different things. So it's not just about interacting with other people. But it could be about your finances. It could be about the future. It could be about your relationships, about your health. Um, just like day-to-day -day activities, errands, tasks you have to do. And so you have a lot of different worries about a lot of different things. Maybe it's hard for you to make decisions. Maybe you feel a lot of tension in your body. You feel uh, you struggle very much with stress. Like generalized anxiety is about a lot more different things than just social situations. Um, another, another way to do this is uh, I would always ask people, um, what are you afraid people will think about you? Um, I'm afraid people will think I am if you have social anxiety, if you struggle with social anxiety, first off, because there's a lot of people who don't meet full criteria for social anxiety disorder, but they really struggle with it. Uh, it. It might not be at that level that it can get diagnosed, but it's really limiting them. So if you struggle with social anxiety, and I ask you that question, I'm afraid people will think I am. People with social anxiety will say something like weird, strange, ugly, unlovable, an embarrassment stuff like that. Oh, okay. And it, if you ask someone who has more generalized anxiety, um, you know, what are you, what are you afraid of? What are you concerned about? They're going to say more things like, uh, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't know how I'm going to do all these things. I'm, I'm afraid of making mistakes. I'm afraid of, of, um, just like everything on my list. Uh, I'm afraid something is going to go wrong. It's more like that, mm -hmm. um, is when you have generalized anxiety.
That's so interesting. Um, so I, I'm starting to understand some of the feedback that I got from my audience because it seems like, uh, especially now that you've explained it, people who have social anxiety disorder or, like you said, struggle with social anxiety, they know it. Because I was just thinking to myself, well, I got a lot of armpit sweat. Is that the same? <laughs> you know, and then you described it and I thought, nope, um, I'm, I'm one of those people that I uh, am an introverted like performer. So you put me in a group and I'm a class clown and I want to make you laugh. And I notice the person who's not fitting in and I'll go and talk to them and all that stuff. There's no social anxiety disorder, but at the end of a social interaction, I'm very drained, which leads me to my next question of introversion. And I mean that in the true sense of introversion, meaning social interactions equal energy loss versus uh, social anxiety. I feel like I know the difference, but is there any insight you want to offer there on this versus that on those two things? Yeah. Um, If I could offer some insight into the sweating first, though. (laughs) Please, because because it um, is so bad. You should see all the shirts in the bathroom right now because you're the fifth interview I've done today. And they are trashed. They're trashed. (laughs) I should just throw them away. I don't need to see them. (laughs) Meredith, I don't need to see them because I get it. (laughs) I get it. So that's me. That is me, too. So here's the difference. Uh, Someone who struggles with social anxiety, when they start sweating, which is a natural symptom of anxiety but it's also a natural symptom of being hot or like running <laughs> doing a lot of activity you right, know yeah. but people who struggle with social anxiety you you get anxious which makes you sweat and then you start sweating and then you get anxious about your sweating and then people are like oh my god people are going to see that I'm sweating they're going to think I'm weird strange unlovable ugly blah 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 and so that is when I was, uh, I still experience this. Like most of the time when I'm doing public speaking, I have another layer on and it's not just to give me structure. It's usually to hide pit stains because <laughs> I sweat so much in those situations and I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me. So someone with social anxiety will sweat and then get anxious about how people are seeing their sweat. Ah. Someone without social anxiety or who doesn't struggle with it. I I should really stop saying without social anxiety because we all have it. Uh, But someone who doesn't struggle with it, they might be sweating and they don't care. So that's, that's kind of the difference there. Your question about introversion and extroversion and anxiety is a really good one. And I think this is like super misunderstood. Um, so you can have social anxiety or you can struggle with social anxiety and be an extrovert. That was my situation. I struggled with social anxiety so much because I wanted that connection, that connection help. It's what invigorated me. And my social anxiety was robbing me of that. You can also have social anxiety and be an introvert where not only do you get drained faster with social situations than an extrovert does. But those social situations are also really anxiety provoking for you and difficult for you. So um, they're two separate things, but they interact with each other. Like you can be extroverted, you can be introverted. You can be socially anxious or you can be not socially anxious. You can be somewhere in the middle. And um, they just kind of work differently. I've, I've worked with a ton of people who are introverted, extroverted, socially anxious. And, um, the people who are introverted might 
might want less social interaction, but they still want it. It's still a part of how humans work. Yeah, I found it interesting when I heard you say or read or heard in a different interview or something that you were an extrovert. And I was like, I was reviewing my notes before we, um, you know, got on the call. And I thought that must be wrong. You know, could so, you know, <laughs> because it's such a contrast, but uh, that's, that's interesting. One of my listeners asked about RSD, rejection, sensitive dysphoria, and its connection with social anxiety disorder. Yeah, this is also a really great question. So one of the coolest things to see in my career is this whole idea of neurodiversity. And, um, you know, the Temple Grandin, who's been um, a really great figure in the world of autism and also in neurodiversity, has this saying that the world needs all types of brains. We need diversity in brains. And neurodiversity speaks to a lot of the, the, the differences in seeing the world because of ADHD or autism or, you know, ticks and Tourette's and like the, these different ways that our brains are wired. We're, we're just beginning to understand how much diversity exists in the way p- humans see the world. Like it's, it's because of the internet that we know that synesthesia is a thing. This is when your, um, your perception is different. Like you might see sounds and you might like hear colors and stuff like that, which like, whoa, that'd be so cool. You know, that's so interesting. I thought that um, was just when like, you were on tripping on mushrooms. Like people have that. Oh, that'll do it too. That'll do. <laughs> so I mean, what you know, what mushrooms do is it kind of um, uh, rewires pathways. And what we're beginning to understand is there's a lot of people who have different wiring of their pathways, just just you know from the way their brain works. Mm. And so seeing seeing sounds and and all that kind of stuff. We only know about this because these communities came up on the internet and then scientists were like, is this a thing? Let's go study this. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is totally a thing. How do we not know this is a thing? I just pictured scientists looking at Reddit and going, y'all, did you see this subreddit? I think we should study this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how this happened. And this is also how we discovered uh, ASMR. Yeah. That ASMR is a thing. Um, it's also kind of how we're discovering misophonia. So people who don't know ASMR and misophonia, I think of them as like two separate ends of the spectrum. ASMR is you hear certain sounds and it feels like this soothing tingling in the back of your head. Uh, one of the theories is it's it's kind of like uh, something that was wired in us when we're babies. Like babies, you know, when you pat them and you like, you go, shh, shh. It's very soothing to them. And for some reason, some adults continue to experience that kind of stuff. Uh, misophonia is the opposite, where certain sounds trigger like hatred and anger. Mm, uh, like and lip slapping, on like eating cereal. Smacking. Oh, God. Yep. Yep. It's bad. Eating certain things. You know, that's a whole nother episode. I made a video <laughs> about that on my YouTube channel like five years ago. And I've treated people who have this. And then I started to develop it myself like two, three years ago, which is really, it's weird. Cause I'm like, what's happening to me? Wait, I know this. Oh my gosh. So that's a whole <laughs> other thing, but that's also, we're like beginning to understand the diversity here. So getting back to your question, what was your question? Um, RSD. I know I had a point. 
Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So there are features of of different brains of neurodiversity, and this has particularly been talked about with ADHD, where people have a sensitivity to rejection. And it might have some things to do with social anxiety. With social anxiety, people fear evaluation. They fear rejection. Um, and a lot of people with ADHD are super sensitive to the experience of rejection. It's it's more of a, a feature of mm. ADHD versus like a whole problem unto itself. Um, some people who have this have anxiety about social situations. Some people who have this don't have anxiety about social situations. So it's um, it's kind of one feature of uh, of particularly of ADHD that is related to social anxiety, but also different. I like I don't know if that makes sense. It does, and I like the reframe of like our problems as features. <laughs> like, yes. Like when yes. I when we meet someone, you know, like let me show you my new car and all its features. I'd be like, hi, I'm Meredith. <laughs> let me show you all my features <laughs> as I'm like crying. <laughs> but it's not I a bad reframe. Love it. Yeah. Hey, like, you know, I, I think about this with autism and, uh, you know, autism has such amazing strengths. Mm -hmm. Like being able to see the world through visual patterns and logic and understanding structure and order is massively helpful and beneficial in many areas of life. And to someone who has autism, like um, people who don't have autism are like super social and verbally biased, you know, like the world just like functions differently. And people with autism kind of think like, can we, can we, be a little bit more straightforward in social situations. Can you like this whole, uh, your whole nonverbal stuff. I'm not really sure how to understand what you're saying here. And like, there's all these like complex social rules that like maybe are not necessary. You know, I, I, I love that we're having more discussions about that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and, and, and yes, um, people with autism can struggle with things, but so can, People who don't have autism, like, you know, there's there's strengths and, and, and challenges with all those sorts of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my listeners wanted to know where social anxiety disorder comes from. And I want to know if it's related yeah. somehow to what you said in one of your videos. I love all your videos, by the way. They're fabulous. Uh, about your brain views situations with other faces as more dangerous. Like, is that yeah. somehow related to where social anxiety disorder comes from? Yeah. So the, um, also a really good question. Um, we could, Meredith, we could spend I know. Like hours <laughs> about any one of these, <laughs> like know. any one of these questions I could know. be a total topic. Um, so we know that there's a few different causes to every anxiety disorder. And, um, we know that some people, are born with the volume turned up on anxiety. So temperament, how intensely you feel different emotions is very biological. So some people are individuals who are born with the volume totally turned down on anxiety. These people tend to be more thrill seekers. They're, I have a friend like this who, when we were growing up, 
he would always climb every tree and climb. Um, now I'm thinking of Sound of Music, climb every mountain. Um, but that's like what he always would do. He would be the one at the top of the mountain spinning around, you know, um, and and singing about the hills are alive. Um, actually, he's a terrible singer and tone deaf. He would not be singing, but he would be climbing. Okay. And um, <laughs> he just does not have anxiety about these things. Whereas me, I would be see the exact same situation and I would just think about, oh, my, well, I'm going to fall and break my bones. Like, I'm not doing that. And so the dials where we're set on feeling different emotions, anxiety, sadness, joy, like the range of that, how intensely we feel these things, a lot of that is biologically wired. It's just the random draw of your genes, right? That's also why some of this stuff runs in family, um, in families. Like anxiety can run in families. Depression can run in families. Um, substance use problems can sometimes run in families because we all in families might uh, pass on certain genetic temperaments of related to emotions. Okay, so we know biology is involved, but biology isn't the whole picture. It can be for some people. Some people might just be born with the volume turned all the way up on anxiety. And so they just struggle with a lot of different things just like from the get-go. But anxiety is usually part of it. And then another part of it is your environment. And for me, anxiety did run in my mom's side of the family. And my mom was someone who was always more on guard in new situations. So this is called um, uh, inhibition to the unknown behavioral inhibition to the unknown. When you're in new or unfamiliar situations, your first instinct is to press the brakes, not the accelerator. Most people don't press either, and they just kind of bruise into these situations. People who struggle with anxiety, they press the brakes, and they're like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not answering that door. I don't know who's there. You know, the, I, I grew up with my mom Whenever I was home um, after school, elementary school and stuff like that, my mom would just not open the door if someone rang the bell because she was just really anxious. Who's there? And so um, I learned that. And I learned that this is a thing that people do. And this is the the first thought I would have when I was on my own is like, okay, you don't do these kind of things. Ah. So you, you have genetics, you have the family and what you learned in the family and that impacts then your skills and how you learn to navigate these things and all that sort of stuff. And so I was someone who just didn't seek out a lot of new social situations because of what I learned in my family. My dad was super outgoing and always like very gregarious and extroverted and all that sort of stuff. But I spent a lot of time with my mom. So I learned a lot of that kind of stuff. And like temperamentally, my mom and, and I were very similar in that way. And then you also might have some really important events that you go through. So two things that stick out, there's like, uh, I could give you a ton of ton of childhood memories. This is not my therapy, session, <laughs> but I could give you a lot. How do you feel about um, that? <laughs> oh, anxious. I'm sweating there, dude. Don't you see these pit states? Yeah, um, I've got my extra layer too. <laughs> extra safety behavior yes just kidding um, this is actually my i'm talking to a phd jacket i only wear this when i'm talking to a phd you're welcome well we kind of have a similar color scheme going here. we do we, we do this, like salmon-ish pink 
But I call, um, I call that the the therapist sweater, and and this is my PhD PhD jacket. This is, this Love is it. I dropped out of community college and I'm compensating. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break to hear about those who support the show. When we come back, you'll hear where social anxiety disorder comes from, how to feel grounded at large gatherings, and the wet sock story. If you ever wonder where I find guests for the show, the answer is it varies a lot. And since it's something that gets asked a lot, I started including the backstory of each episode in my Monday emails. And then on Saturday, I share cliff notes and clickable links in case what you heard was so good you wish you could have taken notes. If you want to be included, text REAL to 66866 if you're in the US or go to MeredithForReal.com if you're elsewhere. If you're listening north of the state of Georgia, mosquitoes are not top of mind right now. But if you're in the Florida Panhandle or Gulf Coast of Alabama, you're already dusting off your grill and citronella candles. Make life easy for future you and get your property scheduled for a mosquito treatment with Insect. I've been using them since 2019 and they continue to impress me. They guarantee their work and pollinators are always top of mind. Check them out at ensec.net. If you watch the show on YouTube, then you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. This is just one museum under the umbrella of the UWF Historic Trust. If you're planning a trip to Pensacola and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket. It's good for a whole week. Get your tickets in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. Um, I So if I'm hearing you correctly, like basically social anxiety disorder is a combination of nurture nature. And I think you're about to get to like trauma too. And am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it could be like a big T trauma or it could be like a small T trauma. Okay. <laughs> that's not, that's not a clinical term. I'm just saying like you could go through very traumatic experiences or you might just go through anxiety provoking experiences. Right. Um, this girl I really liked in second grade invited me over to her birthday party. I didn't realize that at the time, but she invited the entire class. So I thought I was all special, <laughs> but she invited the whole class. It was a pool party. Um, I showed up. A lot of people were out there. I jumped in the pool and then everyone was pointing and laughing, not because what you'd think happened, but just because like I forgot to take my socks off. I jumped in the pool with my swim trunks on and socks on. And everyone thought that was funny. And then for a long time, I was known as like, you know, the, the wet socks kid. And, and that terrified me. And I stopped going to birthday parties for a long time. So then you stop getting that socialization. You stop learning how to deal with those situations. And then that makes your anxiety worse, right? So it's, it's all these things that come together and what, what it is for each individual person varies. Like some people might have more biology. Some people might have more of the family stuff. Some people have more, might have more of the experience, but through this soup of stuff emerges your social anxiety disorder. Wow. Okay. This, this, I'm so glad we started with this because I feel like this lays a really nice foundation for the myriad of questions I'm about to fire at you <laughs> because understanding let's do it. what let's it, do it. Let's do it. Okay. So, 
the first kind of category of questions was understandably about public gatherings. And one of the listeners, um, he's actually a really big YouTuber as well. And he says, why is it that I love people and I love being around people? And he does. I know him. But whenever I go to public areas like the public courts to play pickleball, my anxiety is nearly crippling. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be a lot of different things. If I was talking to this person, I would ask them, what are you afraid might happen? And that'll probably answer the question. Some people have social anxiety, have it more around people they know. Some people have social anxiety, have it more around strangers. Some people have both. You know, um, I had um, uh, one thing I can I can tell you about working with a lot of people who have social anxiety is no two people with social anxiety disorder look the same. So some people might be like super high achieving, gregarious, uh, really friendly, active social life, but they're terrified when it comes to sending emails. You know, it's like it's very um, it's very you can't look at someone and be like, ah, that person has social anxiety because it's so diverse. So for this person, maybe it's approaching these people you don't know. Maybe it's the pickleball pickleball part of it and the evaluation, the uh, performance, how you're going to play. Um, maybe it's like forming a team and the awkwardness of that. It, it could be any number of things. Um, I always tell people just, you know, answer this question. What are you afraid is going to happen? Then what? Then then what? So I'm afraid that no one's going to pick me for the team. And then what? Then it's going to be awkward. I'm going to be sitting there on the sidelines. Then what? I'm going to feel like crap. Then what? I'm going to stop going and I'm not going to be able to do this thing that I love. You know, like you kind of want to, it's this, um, this exercise is called a down, downward arrow, which sounds like a yoga technique. It's not. <laughs> it's a cognitive behavioral therapy technique. But it's about <laughs> getting to that core fear. Like, okay. What is it you're afraid of? Um, so I would ask that person to, to think about that. Those kind of That's things. really helpful, actually. Um, I, it almost answers the other questions in this category because it's it's not just an answer. It's a, you know, you know, you psychologists, you like to answer questions with questions. But I think it's I actually really helpful because it's empowering. It doesn't create like a codependent relationship. Instead, it puts the power back in the person, back in the lap of the experiencer. Um, the- yeah. And, and once you know that, Meredith, once you know what the core fear is, like, oh, I'm afraid uh, people are going to think I'm weird. Oh, OK. Now you know what to work on. And it's everything should come back to that. You know, like I was afraid people were going to think I was weird. So I didn't express my interest. I didn't tell people I was into Star Trek and science fiction or that, you know, I loved playing these video games and stuff like that. I just would not share my opinion. And then it became clear, oh, that's what I need to work on. I need to share my experience and test this out. Like, do people think I'm weird? Then eventually I learned that there's millions of other people that are into the same things that I am. But, you know, with social anxiety, you don't really think that through. So, yeah, it's empowering. Once you know what the core fear is, you know what to work on. So, excuse me, that kind of goes back to to Reddit. You can just figure out, are other people what I'm into? Yep. Just look for a subreddit. Okay. So tell me if the answer to the first question answers the second question. Um, They are saying, how do you get past the terror of large gatherings? I hear the crowd sounds as I approach and I have to leave. I just can't handle the stress of a full staff gathering. So I think this is about work. 
Yeah. Yeah. Those are really scary and intense. Um, I get you. I feel you. So uh, this is where coping comes into play. And coping is a word that gets tossed around a lot on the internet. And what it really means is doing something that helps you to be in the kind of situations you want to be in or have to be in and stay in those situations flexibly. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, sometimes going with a friend to this event makes it easier for you to be in that event. And what I mean by the flexibility is if being with that friend helps you to talk and interact with other people, then that might be a really great coping skill. But if going with a friend, then you're stuck and kind of like holding on to that friend. And if they like turn around, you're like panicking. Then maybe that's not such a good coping skill. You know, similarly with like a cell phone, maybe going into that environment and texting with a friend helps you, uh, helps you to be in there. But if you get stuck in it and you can't look away from the phone, then you're not being flexible in that situation. So what to do is, is find a way to cope that is working for you right now. And what works for you right now might be different than what worked for you a year ago or what will work for you a year from now. But find something that might help you. Maybe that's like a grounding skill. I love five, four, three to one. Um, look at five different things in the environment, touch four different surfaces, listen to um, three different sounds, um, notice two different smells, and then observe the taste in your mouth. There's something about our senses that can kind of totally ground you in something. Um, or... Yeah, it's 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 an amazing skill, um, and maybe there's another person you can um, you can go with. Maybe you can have a game plan of who you're going to talk to, what questions you're going to say. Um, find ways to make to make that larger thing something smaller that you can cope with and hold on to and feel grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's going to take some experimentation to figure out what that is and what will help you in that moment. Yeah. Maybe you can go late. Maybe you want to go early. Mm. Maybe sit in the back. Maybe sit in the front. You know, what are ways that you can make this massive source of anxiety something that's a little bit smaller and something that you can you can tackle right now. I like that. We've talked a lot on the show about tools in your tool belt and not every tool works every day. It doesn't mean you throw away the tool. Yep. You just pick up another one. I want to move on to two questions about supporting loved ones. And um, because I I think, you know, it's just I I got a lot of messages from parents. And I know in your in your past life, you were uh, you specialized in child and adolescent anxiety as well. So this person says, although their child is not really a child, how can I help my 32-year-old son who only leaves the house to go to work and shuts down if I try to talk with him about his further plans? Yeah, that's a really great question, too. Uh, Gosh, your community has some amazing questions here. So uh, this is actually something I'm exploring a lot in my podcast. Um, Inside Voices with Dr. Ali. Subscribe where you get your podcasts from. Um, And what what I've come to believe is social support, which is feeling supported by other people in the way that you want to be supported and also us showing up for other people in the way they want to be supported. I think this is the skill 
for navigating all of our mental health crises. Like it's the essential skill. We can't do anything else without social support. Again, humans are wired to support one another. And so in this situation, your your child um, is going to work. And then after that, kind of like shutting down, you're not able to talk to them about these kind of things. Okay. People like to be supported in different ways, in different situations. Sometimes we want to talk about all the stuff going on in our life. Sometimes we don't want to do that at all. And we want to go watch a movie and we want to get a little bit of a break from all the stressors of our life. Sometimes we want to play together. We want to go play basketball, pickleball. We want to go play a video game together. It sounds like your son might be in a place right now where they don't want to. Uh, I'm assuming son. I don't, uh, was yes. it son? Yeah, it's a mother uh, and a yeah. son. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming your son is in a place where they don't want to talk about the stressors. That's okay. What's What's one way that you can both spend time together, make your son feel supported in the way they want to be supported? What the research has shown is there's a lot of benefits to just being with the other person in the way that they want to be. Um, getting a break from your worries can be a very good thing and it boosts the relationship. It makes a person feel supported. And then over time, they might want to talk about these things more or they might not need to because they're feeling better. So I would just start off by focusing on how can you make that person feel supported in the way that they like to be? You can't just ask someone, what way do you like to feel supported? <laughs> but um, I mean, like, that's what from, I would do. <laughs> <laughs> you could. Sometimes. Sometimes my wife will ask, like, what do you need right now? Do you need validation? Do you need problem solving? Ali, what can I get you? <laughs> that's so and I'm sweet. like, you are. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's the best. Um, she's the best. Um, and... So, uh, the easiest way to figure that out is what do you notice that helps this other person to feel better? Um, the very first episode of my podcast, I, I talked about how I went through this postpartum last year and after my um, my second child was born. And the thing that helped me the most was um, one of my friends coming over along with his wife and his wife helping out um, hold our son, our newborn son so that my friend and I could go see Top Gun Maverick. It was like the first time in a very long time I got a break. I got to go outside the house. I got a break from family and changing dirty diapers. And I experienced something that got me out of my head. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what I needed in that moment. So um, find what it is that might help your son to feel better and then build from there. Okay. I actually think that answered the next question. I know we're running out of time. And um, although, yeah, you're not wrong. We could definitely like spin <laughs> off in all these directions and make superheroes of every single situation. Um, I'm going to ask the question just because um, I, I do feel like it's you answered it. And I just want to check in to see if I'm right about that. And then you can just simply say, yep, and then I'll move on because there, there's some really incredible questions that I want to get to before we have to wrap up. So this person wants to know um, how you can help someone who is struggling in a social situation without drawing attention to them. 
And I thought that was such Mm -hmm. a good question. And you may have answered it by like basically the ministry of presence, like being with them. But if I'm wrong, tell me. Yeah. um, So I think the answer to that really depends on if you know this person or not. And if you know this person, then you can talk in advance with them about, you know, what will what'll help you in this moment? Maybe just me being there. Or what if I start the conversation and then you can join in? Or what if, um, you know, I'm just like, like a, a smiling face that's sort of nodding along. So it, that conversation or that type of support happens best if you talk about it in advance. Or you can talk about it after. Like if it goes poorly, you can ask the person, hey, I really want to be able to be there for you the next time this comes up like what do you think would have helped what what can i do i like and if that. the person's overwhelmed if the person's overwhelmed give them options like yeah do you want me to jump in do you want me to or do you want me to do this <laughs> like it that's a lot better usually than asking like how can i help right because people are stressed anxious nervous have adhd they're depressed uh-huh. like they're not in a place to give you suggestions on how you can help them now, thank you for creating more work for me. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, yeah. It's, it's so yeah. true. I love a good two choice option. Like sometimes yes. I tell my husband that he's like, it's always about something stupid, like where we're going to go eat. And I'm like, give me two choices. Pretend okay. I'm a yes. child. Yeah. I need two choices. Do yeah. I want a blue crayon or do I want a red crayon? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so here's I call that the, uh, what's on Netflix problem. Like, Oh my <laughs> gosh, this is overwhelming. But Meredith, if you don't know the person, then the answer is more tricky. And then, um, Anything you can do to help that person just feel grounded in the moment and supported is is the best thing you can do. It'll take experimentation, though, because you d- you can't read their mind. Yeah, that's you know? so true. You can it's... check in with them. Hey, are, are you, you know, how are you doing right now? I'm just, you yeah. seem like you're kind of overwhelmed. Is there? My friend um, runs a nonprofit for um, kids, a swim team, and a lot of her kids have autism. And um, because a lot of them have trouble with feeling words, she uses a number system. And like 10 is shit, although they're kids, so she doesn't use that word. Not in front of them. And then one is like, you're Superman. And or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's reverse of that. But anyway, she she like alters it. Okay, so here's the question that I thought was so good that I have to ask you before we sign off is um, this listener says, can you please comment to the socioeconomics of therapy and how the BIPOC and queer communities face unique stressors affecting mental health as it relates to social anxiety? Yeah, that's a really good question. Oh, my gosh. I've said that to every question, Meredith. Oh, my gosh. These are all very good questions. <laughs> There's a difference between a true alarm and a false alarm. So if you're if you're a black American, the police are a true alarm for you because what our experiences have shown us is uh, people who are are black, especially black male Americans, are more likely to be um, the victims of police brutality in the United States. So it's not. You don't have social anxiety if you get anxious around the police and if you're a black American, you know, or um, post COVID after the start of the pandemic, if you're Asian American in the United States, you were at greater risk for discrimination and hate crimes and violence um, because of a lot of the the xenophobia that was going around um, related to COVID. Those are true alarms. Those are not false alarms. That's not your brain saying 
I'm weird, I'm strange, but let's test it out. And like, let's learn that some people don't like you and that's okay. And a lot of people are kind of neutral towards you and some people do like you and you can cope with this. That's how we normally approach social anxiety. But in these kind of situations, this is a true alarm. And so there, the what what has to happen is connection to community that lifts you up and helps you to think through these things and how you can um, really feel good about your identity and also navigate these these stressors that come up. You know, this is like every meeting that every woman is in in corporate America, you know, being interrupted, being ignored, having your ideas stolen from you. Like there's a lot of anxiety in this kind of social situation. Is that social anxiety? Well, no and yes, but we have to figure out how can you get connected with a community that helps you to learn how to navigate this stuff? And then is there any aspect of that that's left over? And is there any social anxiety to work on there? Does that make sense? Does that? Yeah. No, I think what you're saying is there are legitimate safety concerns that your body is trying to give you warning bells for. um, And and I think the, the listener here is trying to articulate how do we um, navigate, to use your word, like the actual alarm bells versus yeah. the the residual ones that, you know, it's almost like, like literally when you hear an alarm go off and then the alarm stops and you kind of still hear it in your head. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I'm going nuts that I still hear a ringing, you know? Um, and so I think that's the social version of that. So no, I think you, I think you definitely answered this question. You answered all the questions. This has been, Yay, we did it. We did it. This has been such an amazing chat. Thank you so much. I, I, I enjoyed this a lot. And um, I would love for you to shout out again, your podcast, your new podcast and your new long form videos or anything else that you want before we sign off. Yeah. So if you go to youtube.com slash at D-R-A-L-I, Dr. Ali, that gets you to my YouTube channel. And you can also look up my podcast, Inside Voices with Dr. Ali Matu, um, wherever you get your podcasts. What I'm focused on so much more now is like longer, deeper dives into mental health how can we understand these these thoughts that are kind of swimming in our head how can we ask for help and how can we show up for the important people in our lives that is like what my mission is now and i explore that both um on my podcast as well as my youtube channel where you'll you'll find the long form stuff on my youtube as well and um I want to scale social support. I want to make it easier for people to show up in each other's lives because, again, I think that's the essential thing that um, we sort of lost. And I see this over and over again as like the core problem in so many people's lives. Um, I've been affected by this. I know others have. And I, I want to I want to help people to be able to ask for help when they need it and just be there for their friends and family. Yeah, I think you're doing it. I think you're doing it. And thank you for, you know, making this episode with me. I know everyone who hears it or watches it, if they're watching it on YouTube, will really appreciate it. So thank you again. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already left a rating on Apple Podcasts, I'd be so grateful. Even if you're too tongue-tied to leave the review part, the rating really helps set me up to take the podcast to the next level with high-caliber guests and meaningful sponsorships. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did about the stigma of male anxiety with author and funny man John Patrick Hatcher in episode 166. 
Stay tuned next week when I talk with a globe-trotting biohacker about her favorite health hacks. <laughs>